Okay, if you got your Bibles, I'm going to be in Luke chapter, uh, chapter 12, beginning in verse, you see where I'm at, verse 49. We're almost through this chapter, Luke 12, 49. Maybe we'll get through this chapter today. It's, uh, I like this, I like this little section. It's about this approaching kind of a time in Christ's life where he's anticipating the cross. He's anticipating the cross. So uh, let's just, you know, sometimes when you're going through difficult trials or you know some trials waiting up ahead for you, gosh, it can become, become so overwhelming when you know it's something that's really hard, really tragic. And it seemed to be, it was on Jesus's mind from the time, certainly the time he began his public ministry, all through his life, this, this cross that waited on him that he knew was coming. And you, you feel it as he speaks about it. And so let's look at it in verse 49. It says, I've come to cast fire upon the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo and how distressed I am until it is accomplished. And I want to stop right there. This burden, this distress, this, this carrying this dread of this cross was just on the weight of Christ's mind so much, so constantly of what it all entailed. Now, before we think too much further on that, let's go back to 49. He says, I've come to cast fire upon the earth. I've read several commentators and some books on this and, and seen a really basically two different uh, ideas about what this fire might be. One person said that, and both these guys I res respect, one's William Hendrickson and the other is a little book that I read, his name Kent Hughes, but I, I respect both of them and there's others, but these are the two that I, I kind of go to uh, commentaries on this. One said that the fire was the fire of uh, the Holy Spirit that would come and the fire of being anointed and being blessed and being saved and being gifted and all those things that the Holy Spirit, those positive things that the Holy Spirit says that I've come to cast fire on the earth, this blessings. I, I kind of disagree with Kent Hughes on this. I think it's more of what Hendrickson was saying that the fire pr probably is the judgment that's comes that, that will happen to the world when Christ uh, accomplishes his work on the cross. I believe this. And normally fire in the Bible deals with judgment. And there's times it speaks about the Holy Spirit, but uh, more times than not, fire is about a judgment that's coming. So I believe that I've come to cast fire on the earth is this judgment that's coming. And part of the reason I believe that is the context of God's word here. It's not about the blessings. It's about this division that comes. He talks about that later. Uh, I, that this, he's, he comes not to grant peace, but division. And so that seems to be the kind of uh, context of this judgment that's come. When Christ died on the cross, it brings a judgment to all those uh, who reject him. And of course, a blessing to all those who receive him. And uh, this fire, I believe, speaks of God's judgment. Now, again, I, you know, I could be wrong. It could be, maybe that's not what it is. But do we, you know, we know that, that, uh, that without Christ, we are judged. And, but we also know that 
uh, Jesus comes to, to give us the Holy Spirit after he descended. And he talked about that in this prayer too, that I have to go, it's expedient that I leave because if I don't leave, I can't send the Holy Spirit to you. So it could be that as well. But anyway, that the overall kind of feel here is in the next verse, verse 50. I've come, but I have a baptism to undergo. And he's not talking about being baptized like when John the Baptist baptized him in the Jordan River. He's talking about this being immersed. Baptismo means to be immersed. So I have an immersion would be a better way. I like that better than baptism because when we think about baptism, we're thinking about let's go out to the river or let's get in the baptistry pool and be baptized. But a better translation of the word baptismo would be immersed. I have an immersion to undergo. This undergoing of this this uh, suffering, this struggle that he would face in, in his uh, crucifixion. And it would be everything from his arrest to his cursing, to his beating, to his ridicule, his mocking, uh, scourging, the physical exhaustion, the mental, uh, the mental exhaustion, and the spiritual trauma that he would face having to become sin for the world. We'll never really understand all that Christ went through on the cross. We, we, we can't do it because we're sinners. He was not. He was sinless. Uh, he always was with the Father, always knew the Father. And for those few hours, the Father was not with him as he became sin. We can never really fully understand or grasp the sorrow that Christ went through. And somehow he understood the, of what was coming. And he speaks about until it is accomplished. He wanted to get this accomplished, to get it over with. He wanted to get this behind him. I'm a lot that way too with small things. You know, if I've got a, a Suli had a dental appointment and I'll, and then I had one later and somehow Suli couldn't go to hers, but I, I got to take hers. And so I was so glad to go on and get it over with. If there's something that I don't like, I want to get it over with. But the distress of this impending crucifixion waited on Christ so very heavily. Okay, uh, the reality was Jesus would die first, and he wanted this suffering and death to be over with. But, and it's the essence of Christianity. I don't know if you've ever read anything by a guy by the name of Frederick Buchner. He's a fascinating writer, and uh, he's a, he is a priest, Catholic, but uh, he's, a, of course, thousands, millions of Catholics are Christians, but he's a great writer, very insightful. And some of his, some of his uh, analogies and metaphors are really, really thoughtful. And I love to read some of the stuff. He writes this about this Christ approaching his crucifixion with his, with his eyes open to what he had to embrace. Okay. And he compares this with Buddha, as we know, all of us have in our mind this Buddha who sits with his eyes closed and this legs crossed, what's called a lotus position. Listen to Frederick Buechner, just this short paragraph. Buddha sits enthroned beneath the bow tree in the lotus position. His lips are faintly parted in the smile of the one who has passed beyond every power in earth or heaven to touch him. He who loves 50 has 50 woes. He who loves 10 has 10 woes. He who loves none has no woes. He has said his eyes are closed. What is he saying? Well, what Frederick Buechner is saying is that Buddha had got to the place where nothing bothered him, where the world did not come 
to him at all. He had no woes, no worries. He sits there beyond the world, the opposite of what Christ did. Christ is there to receive the whole sins, the woes, the sins of the whole world upon himself. Nothing could be more contrasting than this Buddha who's beyond the world, who is outside of the world, and Christ who is taking the dreaded woes and sins of the world on, on himself. I think uh, Frederick Buechner put it very eloquently here, and the essence of Christianity is about Jesus Christ who took upon himself the sins of the world. Buddha closed his eyes to shut out the world. Jesus, with his eyes wide open, embraces the world and all of its sorrow and sin and brokenness in order that we might be redeemed. Such beautiful words. Verse 51, do you suppose, Jesus says, that I came to grant peace on earth? If I stopped right there and I said, does Jesus bring peace on earth? You would probably say yes. You would say yes. We know what the angels said uh, when we, when we uh, preach sermons around Christmas. Uh, glory to God in the highest and on earth, the next word, peace among men with whom he is well pleased. So we think, and Jesus, Isaiah says, this is the Prince of Peace, right? He is the Prince of Peace, this great Jesus. Uh, but Jesus says, do you think that I came to bring peace on the earth? And then he says, I tell you, no, the answer to that's no. And I think that would have shocked the disciples to have heard it as he, as he speaks. No, what do you mean? No, I thought it's about peace, but rather division. Now, is he the Prince of Peace? Well, yes, he is. Does he bring peace? Yes, he does. But he also brings this division. So let's think about it for just a minute. Whenever we give our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that. Our relationship with God is one of peace. We're forgiven. The judgment of God will not fall upon us. We are at peace with God. We're at peace with our brothers and sisters, or we should be. We should learn how to love and forgive and care for each other. So there is that peace. But the world that has rejected God, there will be no peace. There's a judgment that's coming. And that's what Jesus is talking about here, this division. And uh, we've seen it in, even in some of our families. And he uses that example uh, next. Let's talk about it. Let's look at it for just a minute. Okay. Uh, for, for from now on, verse 52, five members in one house will be divided. Three against two, two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against his father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. So all these different kind of scenarios where families are split. Well, what splits them? What causes this division? Well, it's that some in this family have become Christians and some have not. And those that are Christians have this division between themselves and those who aren't. Now, it's a little bit harder for us to understand that in America, even though that even though it's it's here to some degree as well. But in for, but in other countries like Iran or Iraq or in China or different Muslim countries or Buddhist countries or wherever, when you become a Christian, gosh, there's great division. And there's family members that uh, that put you out of the family that just, you know, they just ostracize you they they just are done with you and you're, you're out on your own and to become a christian means a great division now it certainly was that way in the first 400 years of the roman empire those people that became christians gosh were persecuted and sent off into colosseums and 
and thrown into the lions and burned alive and horrific things. They lost jobs and uh, they were ridiculed and went through all kinds of different kinds of problems. And we've seen it through Christians throughout history in the world today in China. It's, it's scary to be a Christian uh, there over the last, you know, 60 or 70 years. It's been hard to be a Christian there in some Islamic countries to be an open Christian is to take your life in your own hands. And many people have died. It's amazing to me to think that more people have died because of their Christian faith in the last 120 years than have all the other Christians that have died previously in the other 1800 and whatever, 80 years or whatever it would be. It's there's this, this, this past century has been a century of bloodshed. And I think when historians write about uh, what's going on in the 19th to 20th century, they're going to write about how bloody it was, the millions of people that have died at the hands of all kinds of atrocities of people that hated God's people in one way or the other. It's been, it's been horrific. And we need to certainly remember and be praying for those that are still facing that with great courage, uh, even today. Okay. Uh, there is a great division. It costs something. Jesus also said that when you give up things for my sake, you would be blessed. You would receive more. And that there's a great closeness and unity that we have with one another as we come to know Christ. Okay. He begins to change tunes just a little bit, the tone of a little bit here in verse 54. And he was also saying to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the West, immediately you say a shower is coming. And so it turns out. And when you see a South wind blowing, you say it will be a hot day. And it turns out that way. That's a little bit the way it is here where we live. Uh, our rains come from the West, basically. When the, when the meteorologists tell us that the winds are going to be coming up out of the South in uh, June, July, or August, we know that we're in for some heat. And uh, if you live out on the West Coast, almost every rain they get comes from the West. It comes off the ocean, comes to the West. And that's kind of the way it was with Israel. Everything that they got, the rains that they got, came from the West. And when those winds came up from those uh, Arabian deserts from the south, it would become very, very hot. And they knew it. They could predict the weather, and they knew. And Jesus says, you can predict the weather. You understand what's going on, but you're not being able to see what's going on spiritually in the world around us. And that's what he says in verse 56. He says, you hypocrites, you know how to analyze the appearance of the earth and the sky, but why do you not analyze the present time? Now, what was the present time? Then we'll, we'll talk about our present time. What was the present time for them? Well, it was a time of uh, the prophet John the Baptist. And they had, they had been given a, a new prophet and people flocked to him. But just like their forefathers had rejected the prophets, they have, were rejecting John. It was a time of Jesus Christ and his great miracles. Jesus said, if you don't believe in the words I say, believe in the works that I do. If you can't believe in anything else, just look at the works I'm doing. It's blind see and people are healed and lame are walking and dead are raised and all these things are going on. Believe because of the works that I do. But they refuse to believe his teaching or his works. They refuse to believe the prophets. They refuse to, to look around and see what was going on, that they were rejecting God again. And the judgment of God was going to come because they uh, were rejecting what God was doing and it would be shortly after 
was some 30, 40 years after Christ's death that the judgment of God would come again on this nation because they rejected their Savior. And we know that Jerusalem fell around AD 70. So it was a tragic time. What about our times? Are we missing it? Are we missing the signs of the times, uh, the chaos that's going on in our streets, uh, the disunity, the violence, the shootings? Do you know since this uh, COVID-19 has started that uh, shootings have, and gun violence has gone up? Gosh, it's doubled, practically doubled in our nation. People are so discontented and so unhappy and, and we're not pulling together to fight this virus or we're just mad at the whole world. And I know that in some uh, in the eyes of some, there's some injustices that are happening, but that doesn't mean that we take what's wrong with one violence and then add violence to violence. And that's what we're doing. We're adding violence to violence to violence and there's no contentment. So we're in a, we're in a funny time, a, a crazy time, uh, perhaps a time when we should really be turning to God in our country. You don't hear that. You just don't hear it. You hear about, uh, you know, changing laws, changing police laws or defunding the police or uh, educating the police, or you hear about uh, wearing masks or social distancing and all those things are fine. There's nothing wrong with trying to understand science and trying to be careful, but we're missing the signs that we're spiritually dying as a nation. And all these signs that are going on speak to the issue of where we are spiritually and we can't see it, man. We can predict the weather, but we can't tell, we can't, we can't seem to understand what's going on. Okay. Let me keep going. Uh, and why do you not even on your own initiative judge what is right? Verse 57. Just look at what's right and wrong. Just look at what's right and wrong and judge what's right and wrong. How hard is that to do? And we, so we can't seem to do that. We can't seem to judge that, that uh, all this violence is just horribly wrong. For while you are going with your opponent to appear before the magistrate, on your way there, make an effort to settle with him so that he may not drag you before the judge and the judge turn you over to the officer and the officer throw you into prison. I say to you, you will not get out of there until you have paid your last cent. Now, what's these couple of verses saying? They seem very confusing. And well, it's a little parable here. It's a mini parable, okay? So what's he saying? Well, first of all, he's saying, when you're going to appear before a judge and the judge is going to make some judgment, if you can settle out of court, do so. Okay. Now let me tell you, I was on the uh, jury duty this almost this time last year, talking about September. And the judge told us, he said this, you're on this jury duty. And he said, most of the time, perhaps every time as the trial gets closer, even if you're picked to be on the jury, they'll probably settle out of court because people do not want to stand there and uh, have a jury uh, decide their fate. <laughs> Are you with me? Or a judge decide their fate. They would rather kind of settle out of court. And you know what? I was on the jury duty and uh, I did not have to serve. No one did. No, 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 one on, no one on that jury duty time had to serve in any jury. All people settled out of court. And that's what Jesus is saying. When you're going before a judge, right? When you're going with your opponent, you got some beef to appear before a magistrate for on your way there to make an effort. Try to settle accounts. 
try to get things right so that you may not drag you before the judge and the judge turn you over to the officer and the officer throw you in prison. It might be worse, right? Now that's the simple parable what's he saying though? What's the spiritual meaning? He's telling us that we better get our hearts right. We better repent. We're going to stand before God someday and we're going to, we're going to answer to our lives. And if we've not settled our hearts, if we've not asked God to forgive us and made a change in our lives and trusted Christ as our savior, we're going to be, we're going to be drug out and, and cast into, cast into hell. And I tell you, the more and more, the older I get, the less and less I hear sermons preached and lessons taught about the realities of a heaven and the realities of a hell. Now what's being preached and taught is good grace and kindness and love and how to get over things and be the best you can be. All that's great. But I, I just tell you, I think that we're missing a, a, an element of judgment that's coming. And I believe that element is what brings some people to repentance. It did me. I, I, I knew I was a sinner and I, I wanted to, I didn't know this verse at the time, but I wanted to settle up with the God and say, God, this is who I am. I need you in my life. And uh, so I think we need to get back, back to that. I say to you, you will not get out of there until you have paid the very last cent. And so he's speaking this to these scribes and these Pharisees. And I don't know if they, if they understood what he was saying, in this parable or not, I'm not sure he did, but it's a scary, it's a scary thing. Uh, I pray that uh, we would learn about what it means to uh, have our, our sins forgiven and what it means to uh, be sharing those things. Jesus shared a lot about judgment that's coming about heaven and hell. I don't know why we, why we think today that somehow we don't need to. I think, I think we need that. I think more and more people have gotten away from it. I think it would be good for people to hear the fact that there's a judgment coming and that we're all sinners. We're not better than anybody else. And we just want to warn you and tell you that God loves you and you can be saved. But if you reject his son, you're going to be condemned. And that's God's truth. And perhaps the Holy Spirit could take that and convict people of that and people might be saved. I think we need to get back to that uh, as a nation. Okay. Uh, that's it on this lesson. I'm not going to get into uh, chapter 13. Any comments or questions? I'll open that up for anybody that might have something they'd like to say. Well, I guess I would close in just being so grateful and so thankful to a Savior who loved us so much that he knew what was coming and it distressed him so very much, but uh, he would not turn away from it. He was going to do it and die on that cross that we might be saved. Let's pray and just give him a thanks and praise him for what he's done for us. Lord, we thank you for your love for us, that while we were yet sinners, you died for us and you were willing to die on the cross for us. Lord, it distressed you, it burdened you, it was horrific, but Lord, you did it for us. Lord, may, may we ever glorify you in our lives. Let this be that which motivates us uh, to, to love you. We love you, Lord, because you first loved us. Lord, give us a good week. Help us to be witnesses where we are in the world, to be in the world, but not of it, that you might be glorified and people might see Christ in us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Good to see you. God bless. Thanks for Thanks for uh, tuning in. Good to be back with you this week.